0: How to Stay Motivated. It's the first Monday of the month, and Bonnie and I are tackling that question and many others from the community. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 156.
1: Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stehoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. It's the first Monday of the month, and we are tackling questions on the show today from you around the topic of getting organized, but received a bunch of questions on other topics too. So as always, we'll mix in a few things, and I am thrilled to welcome back to the show my favorite person
1: in the world. Oh wow! Isn't it's Bonnie, it? by the way. It's, if anyone
0: listening is you. waiting to hear, be pretty surprising if someone else had popped on the line there, huh? Yeah. I should say also a huge hello to anyone listening to this show in Spain, especially Santiago, because he emailed me this week. we were going back and forth and had a nice chat, and he said, "Be sure to remember to say hi to people from Spain in your show."
1: Oh, okay. Wonderful. And hello so, to Spain.
0: Hello to Spain. Hello to Santiago. And this is going to be the Spanish edition conducted in English. So there we go. We should I, probably roll into the first question now. <laughs> yeah, That would be good. Yeah. All right. Here's our first question uh, from Gabriel out in Mexico.
2: Hi, Dave. Greetings from Chihuahua, Mexico. My name is Gabriel Franco. I started listening to your podcast recently, and I found it very useful and encouraging. Congratulations, you are doing an excellent job. I'm 44 years and I've been working for my government for almost 25. I hold a second level position in the management structure. Our agency is in charge of collecting data through surveys and censuses to produce economic and demographic information. One of my biggest concerns is to see the workforce aging, me included of course, with some setbacks that this brings, like low morale and decreasing productivity. My guess is that some changes or considerations need to be made in politics and regulations to address this issue. Is there a book, article, or any other source you may recommend? Thank you again for everything you do, and God bless.
0: Thank you so much, Gabriel, for this question. And when I listened to this, Bonnie, I was originally wondering, was he talking about Mexico as a whole, maybe, because his agency collects this data for uh, or organizations? And so I, I actually emailed him back, and he clarified that this is his organization specifically, mm, that okay. that they're, uh, the perception, at least his perception or other people's, is that it's the aging of the workforce that's causing some challenges here. So I, I have some thoughts on this, and I think you might as well. But my first thought is Gabriel, I'm wondering where the perception is coming from that it's an aging issue specifically. And the reason I. I, I
1: wait a minute. I have the same question too. So let me, let me just. Oh, you. Are so, you
0: just going to jump in? Because uh,
1: aging. Gabriel, I'm 43 years old. So I don't want that to be that that's the aging for, workforce when you're 44 years old. You said yourself included. I am somewhat joking with you, Gabriel, but I still, you know, Dave tells me I'm still a young spring chicken. So. At any rate, let's get back to, sorry, took us on a little rabbit trail there. Let's come back and address Gabriel's question. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, it's a good one for people to know. And my experience has been the exact opposite, Bonnie, I don't know about yours, but when I think of people I've worked with throughout my career, just anecdotally, uh, particularly the work I've done with people at Dale Carnegie, the people who have been older workers are often the people who are most engaged are most loyal to the organization. And so I have not, I have found the exact opposite most of the time whenever there's a correlation with age Um, and, and i would say that's probably a pretty loose correlation if any at all so i've not run into this so i'm wondering if maybe the premise of the question here is i'm wondering if maybe there's something else here that's a factor in fact potentially likely a factor
1: a lot of the public agencies here that that i have engaged with you actually can really tap into the older workers who will be retiring in the coming years and their desire to really leave a sense of legacy. So one of the things that can be really powerful is to be connecting them, whether that's through them leading workshops, doing coaching, helping them start to tap into a desire to have made an impact so that leaving a legacy can be helpful. One of the references I do want to mention is that Dave will in the next coming weeks, we'll be airing a podcast, which talks about the millennials, and that would be the younger generation. And And his guest will be giving you some advice. So please feel free to listen into that one as well and talk a little bit more about managing between generations. I think that'll be a helpful resource that's coming out in the podcast too.
0: Yeah. I would really challenge you, Gabriel, that I'm Age is probably not the driving factor here from what we know of your question. I suspect that there's policies in place or there's organizational culture that's in place in driving some of this. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to some of the discussion we've had recently on organizational culture, because I am guessing this is more of a cultural phenomenon than it is purely driven by age. And like I said, my experience has been the exact opposite on this. Okay, let's go to our next question. And this is from Tori. Tori had emailed in and said, I'd like to know if you have a group on book reads or know of any groups that I can join to get advice about good reading for leadership. For example, which of Peter Drucker's books should I read? And I have a, a few thoughts on this one, Bonnie, of course. And any thoughts you have on as far as leadership reads?
1: Well, actually, Dave and I both had the same thoughts, which is a great place to start if you haven't already seen it is dave's giveaway that he gives when you sign up for his weekly updates and it's his 10 leadership books a list of them and then he also has a video where he talks about them and why they have had a significant impact on him so if you haven't seen that definitely want to sign up for the weekly updates and get that resource which dave do you want to share how we do that
0: yeah coachingforleaderscom slash subscribe is the best way to do that and let me uh, let me mention two that aren't on that list sure. and you might even be thinking of the one I'm thinking of. Uh, two that are not on that 10 list which are would be additions is one is a book called Leadership and Self-Deception and it's by an organization it's by the Arbinger Institute. It's a fabulous fabulous book on leadership and just how you are thinking about how you approach others in organizations if you haven't read it's kind of one of those um, it's a hidden gem a lot of people haven't heard of the book I love it it's one of my favorite books on leadership and then specifically to your question from Peter Drucker I actually haven't read much Drucker I have on my book though the essential Drucker I think it's called mm-hmm. and I, I I've been meaning to read it for years now it's been sitting there but it was rated very highly when I purchased it of all the Drucker. Book. So if you were going to read one, that's probably a place to start.
1: I'm laughing because I had the same one written down. It's a great place to start. And I think there's a reason why it's called The Essential Drucker. And I also have, I had the same one that Dave had too. This is one of those great minds think alike moments. Another book that has a significant impact on me for a very long time is The Four Agreements.
3: Oh, yes.
1: Another one is The Empowered Manager. And we've talked about it on the show, and I believe it's on your list, difficult conversations. Is that it on is, the list? Yeah. It is
0: on the list, yeah.
1: And then the last one I think is on the list too, the fifth discipline.
0: The fifth discipline is on the list, and I'll second the empowered manager. That's a great book for kind of learning how to navigate organizational politics, particularly mm-hmm. if you're in a more senior role in the organization. He's got some really good um it's not a it's not a recent book, but he's got some really good frameworks around how to think about how you're relating to others and organizations from a political standpoint and uh, really worth the read, or at least that chapter, even if you pick up the book on organizational politics. And I've had a couple of people, Bonnie, email me, including Corn, uh, about a great book for selling skills. And you happen to be, a, in addition to a regular garden variety business professor, you happen to be at the moment a sales professor as Mm -hmm. in teaching a class on sales and sales management. I I know you have a couple of suggestions on books on selling.
1: If you are only ever going to read one book on selling, the best one that I have ever read that has stayed with me and is still incredibly current this very day is called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And it is by a man named Mahan Khalsa, who is also a brilliant speaker. I I can't even tell you how many times I've taken it out because it's really an easy read and you can go, oh, right now I'm going to go into this kind of a sale and I know I need to go in and talk about what their decision process will look like. And then you flip to the chapter on decision making process and you can really hone in on that. Another one is called Spin Selling. Spin Selling is mm. less of a narrative type of book or, or a story where you're getting to learn about the author and his experiences. And it's a little bit more...
0: More of a process-oriented book of process, like how to structure your mm-hmm. sales process, right?
1: So you don't get as much of a connection with the author, but you definitely learn about a process. Spin selling, I would suspect, might be more difficult to just read and then start executing because it's, it is something that requires some coaching in order to actually start to use the technique, but it is a phenomenal sales approach and another one worth looking at.
0: And a really good model for listening to people spin mm-hmm. selling is so... So hope that uh hope that helps out as far as uh, those looking for sales books advice and i had another question here from Tori bonnie uh this question he says i work in the in international development in the country of east timor we provide funding to local ngo partners who then implement project activities one of the challenges i faced not only here but in other countries as well is that our partners do not turn in liquidations or reports on time, and we're always following up with the same issues to be resolved regarding missing documents, etc. This results in us having to ask for these documents repeatedly and consistently remind people about deadlines. I'd like the partners to be motivated enough to complete the reporting with a concern for quality and timing and not have to constantly ask or remind them. I want them to want to complete the reporting and do a good job, but right now they did not seem too concerned about it. How can we motivate them to improve their performance? So I, one, uh, one thing, Tori, you know I was, <laughs> it's funny you asked this because I was just having dialogue with uh, one of our friends yesterday who's a psychologist, and we were talking about, we were actually talking about parenting and just the importance and how easy it is in a parenting scenario to discipline kids and to punish. And that that works really well and you get immediate results. a short period of time but that over time those punishments tend to desensitize and they're not very effective in the long run and that a much better practice is to think about how to positively incentivize people in order to achieve what it is you want and his point was that that's a lot harder to do to work towards a positive and to because you have to think that through and you have to think through what's a positive outcome versus Um, A positive reward versus a negative punishment. Uh, And your question makes me think of that, obviously a much different situation, but I think the concept here could apply is, I don't know what's currently happening when people don't turn in that material on time, but I'm wondering what you or your organization might do that would be a positive incentive to people in order to submit those documents either on time or maybe even early. What's something that they could receive or some kind of acknowledgement that they would get? And it doesn't even necessarily need to be anything monetary, but something that your organization would do to point out to people that they are doing that better and being in more alignment. And then the final thing I'd say is, could you, have you, have you, one, have you communicated that expectation clearly to people? And then if you have, what's the why behind the what? So how do you really look at it from their perspective? How does their organization benefit by getting the reporting into you on time? So is there something, some benefit that they receive? Do you are you able to then provide them with better data, better resources? And to the extent that they know that and you bring that up in dialogue and in conversations when when those positive things are happening, um, I think you get m- you get more likely to have engagement of people wanting to take action on it. And that's where you move beyond compliance and move more toward enthusiastic cooperation.
1: Yeah, I think that there were a couple of things. There's a wonderful article, which is from long ago, that Harvard Business Review did. And I'm going to get the title wrong, but Dave may be able to help me.
3: I hoping, know exactly which hoping, one you're going to
1: mention. Hoping for B when you're expecting A. Can you start uh, to Google it? So you? I always get the A and the B confused. And that is the whole article. And I love rereading it every few years because the whole article is all about what we train other people to do inadvertently. We have these systems set up and we don't realize that we're actually conditioning people to do the opposite of what we really hope that they would. And it it's a, it's a quick read. It is one of those that it's not wonderful that people do this, but it's posted a lot of places on the internet where it really shouldn't be for copyright reasons and things. But if you Dave may or may not post a link to it, just because they may not be have the proper copyright attributes. But he'll post a link of the name at least, so you can search for the name, and then you can find it on your own, and we can all live with a good conscience that Dave didn't post it himself. But oh, there's the title. Yep,
0: yeah, the it's it's actually not Harvard. I thought it was too, but it's uh, from the Academy of Management Executive, and it mm. is an Academy Classic on the folly of rewarding A while hoping for B. And it is a classic, classic article on management. It is fabulous on thinking through what results you're getting and how you may or may not have created the system to get the results you want. So it's a fabulous read for that. I'll put the link in the show notes.
1: It's, it's, a, it's an unbelievably thought-provoking article that can really get you thinking about it. Because one of, the, one of the things I remember about the article that I think I would just caution you from following Dave's advice too much of thinking about rewarding the positive is when we reward the positive and do that in a transactional way, which is not what Dave was describing, but if you didn't have the richness of his answer, you reward the positive. So say, for example, our, our toddler son, Two and a half years old, that every time he does what we want him to, to pick up his toys, for example, we give him a cookie. And the article talks about well, who is more trained in this scenario? Is it really our son? Or is it us for giving him the cookie every time? And is that really ultimately a good thing if our son only picks up his toys when he receives that transaction of the cookie? So that would be one thing I would tell you to really avoid thinking about a reward system in terms of a transaction, because then ultimately you're the one who's more trained than they are. And and so I think Dave's questions he told you to get at what are they really going to get out of it, having conversations with them. And I would also, encourage you to think about process improvement how you might make the process smoother for them are you having them enter data every time for example that Mm. isn't really valuable to them and they think oh i type this in every time you should know this from before
0: you articulated that way better than i did that's why you're on these shows Mm. because you don't want to fatten up your toddler with dozens of cookies Let's move on to, this question's actually an anonymous question. I do know who this person is, but uh, for the reasons of the question, you'll see why we're not uh, saying their name. The question says, I've decided a few weeks ago that my time with my company has expired and it was the moment to move on. I have a second interview coming and while the change scares me, I think it's needed. My health and marriage are affected, so change should be good. Well, I've not yet been offered the position. Um, I'm pretty confident things will go well. All that said, any suggestions on giving notice? My reason for leaving is because of people, and I cannot figure out a way to deliver the message without sounding whiny. I don't want to burn any bridges, but I also need to be firm and not allow my boss to convince me to stay. Do you have any suggestions on this concept? I would make a firm decision for yourself prior to giving notice that you either are open to some negotiation or you absolutely are going to leave and from our email dialogue i think you've already made that decision that you absolutely are going to leave so if you're concerned is that in the moment you may have dialogue or, or have not have the confidence you want to not follow through with that decision you've already made i think one thing i would do is i would be i would have already made the commitment to have left and accepted the next position. So you can't back out of that. So that would be one suggestion. The other thought I'd have, and I think Bonnie will probably echo this too, is absolutely stay positive. Um, there, there's, there's really no benefit that you get at this point from telling people that, you know, this person I didn't get along with, I don't like the culture here, my boss wasn't good. Um, you want to talk about this as a great opportunity for you. This is the next step in your career. It's a wonderful chance for you to move on and to be challenged in new ways and focus on the positive and not just with the person you give notice to, but the other people in your organization. Even if you've talked to others in your organization before about kind of maybe more of the real reasons behind it, I would stay positive here because um, all it takes is one person to say, well, I know why she's really leaving. And then you've got you've got a story that's following you potentially throughout your entire career when people check references and if you're in the same industry it gets really really messy so that'd be my advice absolutely stay positive and talk about all the all the honest good things you can say about that organization Bonnie anything to add on that
1: yeah i'm i'm just not entirely sure that i think that telling them that cementing it before the conversation gets had is necessarily a great idea. I don't know just in terms of so that he doesn't or she doesn't back out. So,
0: Well, I'm sa- like, that's one strategy. Like if you've already committed to this new job and you've, you said I'm showing up, <laughs> I think that makes it easier to leave. If you're afraid in the moment that you're going to back out.
1: Maybe. Yeah, and I, I guess I would just say you got to own that fear and do it anyway. And, yeah. Well, I mean, that's
0: the that's the other piece of it too, I, for sure. I
1: tend to be, you never know what might happen in that process. So, yeah. For example, they say we'll pay you thirty thousand dollars to stay an extra week, so that you can try. I'm making this up, but you can train the new person, and then you're already committed to a start date with the other company. That's where things could get a little bit dicey. So, yeah.
0: You know, I guess the reason I didn't even think about that is. It says my health and marriage are affected. When you're mm, getting to that point in yeah. a job, you're done. You know, yeah. you want to make sure that you just are. It, no job is worth that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, maybe, but long term, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The only other thing I was going to mention is that Michael Hyatt, who has a really great podcast, had an entire episode on this subject. Mm. And if you'd like some confidence and some ways of wording things, and I think he spent 45 minutes, if I recall, on the subject.
0: Oh, interesting. And
1: I, I had one of my students who was going to be quitting her job, and I had her listen to it, and she absolutely loved it. So I, w- I would think that was worth a listen as you go about executing your plans. I certainly don't mean to pass you off to another podcast, but I, I think it's a really nicely done episode.
0: Yeah, and he's, he's got a great show. So awesome. Very good. all right, let's uh, let's tackle our question here from Armando. Another question from Mexico.
3: Hi, Dave. This is Armando from Mexico. and really want to say thank you for your podcast, for your show. It really inspired me to keep learning and go for to be a, a leader. So my feedback, it's just that I want to thank you for all that you're doing. I really appreciate it and well my question is um... how can you be motivated how can you be always motivated if you need to motivate someone else because it's it's easier to try to motivate someone else but if you don't feel that motivation in your life it could be difficult or um, the people that are following you could be um without um, having the sense, um, um, having the feeling that that you are really want to help them. So, uh, right now, I just lack mo- of motivation. So, if, uh, if you can bring me with some tips to improve my motivation, I will appreciate it. Thanks, Dave.
0: Can I say something before we answer this? So, do you remember about a week ago, we were having a late conversation at night, and I was like, you know, I am just... I just feel like I've hit this patch where I've had the blues for like the last mm-hmm. week or two. Yeah. I just don't feel motivated on anything. Everything's going great. And yet I just feel like really kind of depressed now. And then literally right after that, I came downstairs, I opened up the laptop and this was the question that I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't
3: know. I don't know. <laughs> we have to send this question somewhere else.
0: <laughs> I do have a few thoughts though. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how a few days of perspective does help. Um, but unless you want to go first,
1: I'm go right ahead.
0: My few thoughts are, Armando, is that you know, I think we all get to this place. I know I do. I think there's probably two or three days every month when I hit this patch, I just don't feel motivated. So I think the first thing, at least for myself, is I just try to give myself grace and and accept those times when I don't feel the motivation, I don't feel the drive for whatever reason. To keep things moving forward, and I try not to really make a big deal out of it, and I try not to panic too much when it happens. Um, and so, so that's one thing that I've found that has been helpful to me, especially in the recent past. Um, the other thing I'd say is just to be intentional about what goes into your life. Who are the people around you? Um, what kinds of things are you reading? What kind of television are you watching or not watching? I really try to be really intentional on those things, and for the most part, I find that my environment really supports me in a lot of ways, to keep me motivated most of the time because I really am careful about who I spend time with and the kinds of things I read. Not that I ever look at bad news, but I'm, I'm really careful about not spending a lot of time on that because I know that it messes with my psychological stability. Um, you know, even re- the news has not been great in the world and in the country over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and uh, you know, and ironically, you know, that's been a couple of weeks that I've been more blue. I spent more time reading the news and focusing on that. And I think that it's just, there's just, you just have, we just have to all limit that and be real conscious of that. I have one more resource too, but Bonnie, you might have some ideas.
1: Well, Dave was touching on one of the things that I was contemplating might be helpful, and that is the idea of the theory of social intelligence. And one of the things under social intelligence, so we we talk about there's there's regular intellectual quotient, our IQ, and that's our, our brain smarts. And then there's the... Emotional intelligence, and that's more about being in tune with who we are and how we're feeling. And then the social intelligence is the recognition of the interplay between people and being intelligent about that. And one of the things underneath that theory and that body of research is very much that our emotions are shown to be contagious. So Dave started talking about that to the extent that we can be around people that bring us life. There's no better way for me to express it other than to say you're around some people and you leave their company so much more energized than when you first Mm -hmm. encountered them. And there are others who the expression goes suck the life out of us and to recognize that that is contagious and to, to want to protect ourselves. Now that isn't going to help you if the people that suck the life out of you are the people that are on the team that you lead. Because that is not something where we can just say, hey, I'm gonna just stay away from you. But to recognize that Stephen Covey, who is a wonderful leadership author and speaker, talked about the emotional bank account and the idea that we put deposits in so that when we mess up with people that we are in relationships with, it's okay as long as we've made enough deposits to to counteract that. So the idea that just as Dave said, to the extent that you are able to make that choice, trying to be purposeful about who you spend your time with, mm. and that will help. The other thing is that I'm not entirely a believer in what's called behavioralism or behavioral psychology. But I think at times it certainly is a good approach to use for things like this. And that is that this this body of psychology believes that we, if we don't like how we feel, we would go to see someone to help us behave our way into feeling differently. And while I do think it's helpful, as Dave said, to give grace and to recognize that we are going to be depressed sometime, where I work, there was a recent death in the workplace, not at the workplace, but but with a member of the team. So I think it's okay to say that hurt people who were close to him. and I And I think we try to cover that up and act like the next day we go back to work and everything's fine that's not going to be really helpful in the workplace. So on one hand, I want us to be authentic. I want us to recognize that that's good leadership to model for other people when we are in tune with how we feel. And we're not just fake superheroes all the time, acting as if everything is great and I'm full of energy. And at the same time, I think that behavioralism can inform our our thinking that, yes, sometimes we can behave our way into feeling a certain way. I'll give you an example. I don't always feel like going for a walk. But boy, when I go for a walk, I never end a walk saying, "Darn it, if I just wouldn't have gone for that walk." Never in my life can I ever recall a time where I ended exercise saying, "Oh man, I shouldn't have done that." <laughs> never. <Yeah. laughs> and so, or even I mean eating healthy, I you know that might not be what I'm craving but i never get done going oh man if just i would have had really fried fried food that was terrible for me and overate that would have been the way i would have rather done things so the same thing can hold true when it comes to motivation speaking of walking by the way one thing that helps me stay motivated is even to take the quick breaks where you walk around the building for 5 minutes that'll that'll get my motivation going my motivation gets going by learning things so constantly filling my mind with new, fresh ideas and people that bring those into my work life as well. So, and you're already listening to podcasts, so you already clearly think that that is something that's important to you too. So I'm glad you're doing that, and I hope you'll keep up with it.
0: Dale Carnegie said, if you act enthusiastic, you'll be enthusiastic. And so with the context of what you just said, I think that's 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 really good advice. One other resource for you, Armando, uh, back on episode 85, the topic of that for this show was 10 ways to pick yourself up when you're beaten down. So definitely check that one out as well. And I've got another link to an article in there too that'll be helpful to you when you see it on the show notes. So uh, I think we have time for maybe one more question, Bonnie. So this question is from Paola. Uh, She says, as a very structured person, I am quite good, quite good organization. I think I copied this wrong. I'm very organized when it comes to clear and specific tasks. But to be honest, I feel kind of lost when I have to do projects or strategic work with no clear way, structure, or tasks. Can you provide some ideas on that? Ironically, I spent the entire day doing this right now because hmm. I'm working on a strategic plan for some a big project with Dale Carnegie, which I'll probably talk more about in the show in the not too distant future. Um, the way I start at Paola is I actually begin when things are very structured. I will begin in something like Basecamp, which is our project management system that we use. So, um, when it's very—this is not your question, by the way—but I'm just mentioning this as an FYI. When when it is very clear with the structure and tasks and dates and all that are, uh, we use Basecamp as a great resource for that. So, if you're looking for a project management system, that's a great way to go. When it's very ambiguous, like the thing I'm the project I'm working on right now, and or you're creating something from new new for the first time and you don't know what that's going to look like, I start with mind mapping. That's the first thing I do. I use a program called, I believe it's called MindNode. It's MindNode. It's a Mac version, but there's there's lots of different great mind mapping programs out there. And I usually put whatever it is I'm working at right at the center, and I just start mapping. I draw a line away from that center topic, and I start thinking about what are all the big things that are coming to my mind around this. And sometimes if it's appropriate, I'll get other people involved with that. In fact, the mind map I've been working on with three or four people over the last couple of weeks, just thinking through all the different aspects of it. And then once I've got it all down on paper, or as a team, we've got it all down on paper. Then what we do is once all the ideas are out, then we go through the process, excuse me, of starting to Structure out, okay. Now, what which which of these are most important? What do we need to put dates around? What's going to be actually part of the strategic plan? What are going to be the tasks that are going to go along with this? But but you can't do that until you have a sense of like what's all there and all the big ideas around mind mapping. And you do mind mapping too, right, Bonnie?
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna go a different take on this. Are you, Please. are you okay? Yeah, go. So I love that you asked this question. I'm not sure your own background professionally, but this is one of the things that holds people back from the next level of management. So again, I don't, I don't know what your current work is, but this is something that oftentimes is a hindrance to moving up in organizations. So it's wonderful. You're asking this question and recognizing that you're good at the tasks, but have this area of deficit. So it, it's a, it's something that is a different way of looking at things because we don't know all the tasks that are going to happen. So one of the things we start with is to think about the end in mind. I know we've talked about that on the show before. What's the end going to look like? If you don't know what the end is going to look like, but you've been tasked to do some project or deliverable, then what's really key is to figure out who are your stakeholders. And your stakeholder shouldn't just be the person who assigned it to you. So you want to get that person who assigned it to you thinking about who else should have ownership and perhaps even without them, maybe even knowing that you're coaching them to be thinking about stakeholders too. So you want to identify who the stakeholder groups are and specific names if appropriate, and then go out and start asking these different people one question. When this is done, what will success look like? And then you stop talking and you wait and you discover in every, every time I have ever done this in my career, wow, different stakeholders think differently about what success is going to look like. I wish you the best as you look to do this and check back with Dave and I would love to hear how it's going with you.
0: Well, we covered a lot of ground, a lot of recommendations and links for recommendations. So check those out in the show notes, coachingforleaders.com slash 156. And of course, the links will all be in the weekly update coming on email this week as well. That's also the place to join the conversation. If you have something to add to one of our answers, or maybe you just think we're nuts and have a completely different piece of advice always open to that. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash 156 to join the conversation. And you can also submit a question for consideration for our next Q&A show, which is coming up episode 161, first Monday of October. And you can submit a question for that at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And thanks again to Bonnie for joining us. And hey, by the way, Bonnie's new podcast isn't so new anymore. It's in episode 13 this week. And it's called Teaching in Higher Ed. So if you haven't checked that out yet, if you are a university professor or know anyone who's a university professor and wants to become a better teacher in the classroom, that's what her podcast is focused around. So if you know someone who that would be a benefit to, check it out at teachinginhighered.com. And you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and All the other audio directories, just like this show. Hey, one other announcement that's coming up here in the next few weeks. I am doing a bit of traveling with our kids coming up here in the middle of September. And I am going to be in the Chicago area. As many of you know, I grew up uh, in the Chicago area in a suburb called Naperville, which is uh, southwest of the city of Chicago. And I'm going to be out there for three or four days with our kids visiting my parents. And so I am planning to do a little informal community meetup. So if you are a listener in the Chicago area and would like to meet up and just get together for about an hour and a half and have dinner, I am planning that on Thursday, September 18th from 6 until probably about 7.30 p.m. that evening. It's just an informal, casual dinner get-together, we will find an establishment that's in the naperville Brook area for those of you who are Chicago folks. So I know we have a lot of listeners in the Chicago area. So if you're out there, again, Thursday, September 18th, 6 to 730, here's what you'll do. Send me an email to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And in the subject line, just put Chicago dinner. And depending on how many of those I get, We'll figure out a venue that makes most sense for uh, for the number of folks that are heading out. So just send me an email again, Chicago Dinner, and I will get back to you with more details once I have them. And, uh, and I'm excited to get to connect with folks. Uh, the first meetup I had planned last year, and it didn't quite happen because my travel plans uh, had changed up last minute. But uh, this time, the trip's happening for sure. The tickets are bought, so we're going to be out there, and I'm um, looking forward to getting to connect with some of you on the other side of the country, and uh, can't wait to meet up in person. Hey, a special thank you this week to those of you who subscribe to the weekly update, which was a whole bunch of folks, and you're going to get all of the links we talked about in today's show, the recommendations in your email box on Wednesday, and if you would like to join that as well, just go to coachingforleaders.com/slash subscribe. You'll get the show notes for every episode I air on, uh, on Mondays, but the show notes will come in your inbox on Wednesdays, along with an article from me each week that'll help you to continue to improve your leadership skills. And thank you this week to all of these folks who joined the weekly update, and that is Steve Evans, Christy Yadin, Matthew DeClerc, Anish Laushandani, hope I was close, Anish, George Dumitru, Greg Atkinson. Ellie Eckstein, Don Swain, Jacob Adler, or Adair, sorry, Jacob, Peter Skasilik, Yasmin Skeeth, David Zobler, Mark Skiara, Steve Granger, Wanda Booth, Bahanu Madahirini, uh, um, Bahanu, thank you so much for the comment as well, Luciano Texaria, Nicole Dautuel, Nicole, I hope that was somewhat close, Craig Ariano, Stephen Jortson, Tom Melly, Anusha Wenkantassen, and Isabella Echeverri. Oh, Isabella, some tough names this week. Isabella, I hope I got close on that. And if you subscribe to the weekly update as well, in addition to getting those updates, you'll also get... My guide to the ten leadership books that will help you get better results from others. You already heard about it in this episode. So again, coachingforleaders.com/slash subscribe. Also, a very big thank you this week to two folks who took the time to go and write a review on iTunes about the show. One of those was Tory Peace. Tory, thank you so much for the comment on iTunes. I so appreciate you taking the time to do that. He was one of the folks who asked a question in this episode. So thank you so much, Tori. And I also want to say a very special thank you to Near Lerner, my new friend. Uh, Near is also out here in Southern California, and he hosts and produce the new podcast called The Legal Seagull. He's about 12 weeks in, It is an amazing show on the American legal system. I've listened to every episode since I've started listening. It's one of my new favorite shows. So if you're interested in the American legal system, uh, check it out at thelegalsegal.com. And thanks, Nir, for taking the time to write a review and being a part of this community as well. Hey, have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you back next week. Take care.